This is lesson two of our church governments and administrations. We're calling this lesson the offices of the church. If you'll remember, our first lesson was called the nature of authority. And this is part of the bigger lesson called governments and administrations. What we're looking at is how the church is set up to run and operate. Anything with people needs organization, whether it's a business or a government or a fraternity, a local church, a fire hall, a family. By nature, even the animal kingdom has hierarchy. You have budding orders, horning orders, and among cattle it's called a horning order. Among sheep and goats it's a budding order. Among hens it's called a pecking order. Everything has a hierarchy. Among uh, the canines there's the alpha male, he's in charge. Even among deer. And so it, it just is total common sense that in the local church and in the body of Christ there's going to be governments and administrations and a hierarchy to how things are set up. So we've written these lessons, and there's about eight of them, uh, to explain to the church how the church is set up so we know how this thing works. If you've ever worked for a big company or an organization, part of the training you get is how is the company established, how do I get promotion in the company, who do I report to, what's the disciplinary actions, how do I gain a promotion, how do I gain a demotion, what are the benefits. That's part of anything. I got that when I worked at Lowe's, I got that when I worked at Geotech Engineering, I got that when I worked for Wilbur Smith Associates, I got that when I worked at Earth Exploration, and I got it everywhere, and so have you. So we ought to find it in the church. What we are finding is that many Christians are totally ignorant to how the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, set up His church to work. So the first lesson was on authority, because that's how anything operates, is through chains of command. And as we taught, that kind of river of authority that flows from the throne of God and then is diversified through heads and departments and leaders. Now we're going to look at the different officers or offices or positions of authority in the local church and in the body of Christ in general. So let's jump into this. This is called Offices of the Church. The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a highly organized institution. Jesus Christ left nothing to chance, praise God. His body is designed to operate and run very smoothly. Now we know the body of Christ is likened unto a living organism, and you've got to think, just as perfectly as designed as our human body is, with nervous system and respiratory system and digestive system and cardiopulmonary system. That's how the body of Christ is designed, with that kind of attention to detail. And in the body, things start at the core and go out, and they start at the out and they come back in. And it's a constant cycle. And everything is run by a head. And there's this perfect cycle of submission and authority, even within a natural biological body. You breathe air in, it goes into your lungs, runs through the heart and your blood and your cells are oxygenated. You breathe CO2 out from that last round that brought everything in, that went back to the heart, the heart put the CO2 back into the lungs and the lungs exhaled it and it works a thousand times a day and you don't even pay attention to it and it's flawless. That's how the body of Christ is designed to operate, flawless organization. In this lesson we will give a brief, and I, I, I emphasize brief, because each one of these sections you could spend a month or two on by themselves. We will give a brief synopsis of the various offices or positions of authority in the church. We will see who authorizes them and what these offices are authorized to do. This teaching will help to clear up some of the misunderstandings of governments in the church today. So we, we had, just because we don't have the time to spare, we're going to jump right into this. The first and the highest order in the body of Christ are the fivefold ministers. Those are the most authorized, highest-ranking members of the body of Christ. They're not better than anybody, but their position is the highest, all right? 
We find that in Ephesians 4.11. So who? We're going to ask the same questions for each of these offices. Who? This is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Who authorizes him? That's the other thing we're going to look at every time. Who authorizes? Who calls into being the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. These are very critical points that we want to keep emphasizing because the next lesson we're going to look at, lesson three, is called church governments. And we look at the four main types of governments that run churches today or forms of governments. And we'll see that three of the four are totally unbiblical, yet they are probably the most common. This lesson is going to prepare us for lesson three, which is the governments. Because we're going to see here who authorizes who. And whoever authorizes you is who you report to. When, when a boss authorizes you, you report to the boss of authorization. Uh, when dad authorizes you, you report to the dad of authorization. Uh, when the police authorizes you, you don't report, report to the postman. You report to the police officer. When the captain authorizes you in the military, you don't report to the cook. You report to the captain. And so that's why this has got to be noticed and, criti and be critical of and, and focused on. Who authorizes the fivefold? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. We get that from Ephesians 4.11. And He, Jesus, gave some apostles and some prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. So we see from that verse there that it is the Lord Jesus that authorizes the fivefold ministers. Who are these men accountable to? That's our next point. These men are accountable, these men and women, they're accountable and will answer severely to the Lord Jesus Christ. James 3.1 says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation or the greater judgment. The word master means superior, one that's in charge. James was saying, don't strive to be a fivefold minister. We are going to receive the greater judgment. And these folks submit and account are accountable to each other. We see that from Galatians 2.11, where Paul says, And I withstood Peter to the face, for he was to blame, for so great was the dissimulation that even Barnabas was carried away with it. Barnabas was a great apostle. Peter was sinning. Peter was an apostle. His sin called Barnabas to sin against the Gentiles because of bigotry with the Jews. And Paul said, I withstood him to the face. I rebuked him. So we see there that an apostle is holding another apostle accountable. Also, 1 Timothy 1.20, Paul says there, he says, Of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, they're two preachers, of whom I have delivered unto Satan for the, that they'd learn not to blaspheme. All right, so there you see an apostle, Paul, holding two other preachers accountable. I'm just showing you to say, who do the fivefold account to? They account to the Lord Jesus and those of like authority. All right? Do not covet to be a full-time minister, and we cannot emphasize that enough. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with other pastors, and we always joke and say, whoever wants to be a pastor is a big, fat idiot. This is, if it weren't for Jesus, this would be the worst job on the planet. But this is our lot in life, so we suck it up and we smile and have a good time doing it. But who in the world would want to be a pastor except that Jesus Christ called them to it? Why? Why are there fivefold? Why is this an office? Why are these the highest-ranking officers? And I I'll just point out that in our lesson, we go down the chain of command. We start with the highest, and we end with the lowest of authority, which is helps ministry. Why? Well, Ephesians 4.12 tells us why these men are in the church. For the perfecting of the saints, so the saints can do the work of the ministry, so the body of Christ can be edified. The number one reason we have ministers in the body, 
the highest ranking officers, is so that the body of Christ can be perfected or matured. That's why we exist. For these reasons, the previously mentioned perfecting, working, edifying, these offices must still exist today. A lot of churches don't believe in apostles or prophets. They say they've been done away with. If the fact that Ephesians 4.12 says that these officers exist to perfect the saints, then what we're saying is we can be perfected without apostles and prophets, and that's just not possible biblically. All right? Job description. Like I said, we have to move through this quickly because there's four categories we have to hit here. <laughs> Job description of the fivefold officers. These officers of the church are authorized and anointed to perfect the saints through doctrine, rebuke, instruction, correction, training, and prayer. They also have their specialty roles as follows. Okay? Like I said, each one of these sections we could spend, I could probably easily write five or six lessons just on the fivefold, but we're just running through it. Number one, apostles. That word means sent ones. So an apostle established, apostles establish churches and doctrines and go places the gospel is yet to be preached. The apostle is always on the go and always looking for a new place to start a new work. That, in a nutshell, is an apostle. They establish churches and critical doctrine. Not necessarily new doctrine, but they'll dig in the word and they'll bring forth a doctrine that has been lost to the church. Prophets, they're also called seers. That doesn't mean to sear your conscience or to sear a stake. A seer is one that sees, just like a swimmer is one that swims, a jogger is one that jogs, and a prophet is a seer. They see things by the Spirit of God. This office keeps the body of Christ out of error and sin and is always bringing the church back to righteousness. The one message every, every prophet under the entire Old and New Testament ever preached was repent and get right with God. If a modern prophet is calling himself a prophet, but they're not calling Christians back to Jesus, they're not a prophet. They're just trying to make a prophet. So watch out for them. The prophet will always see where the church is out of line with the Word and Spirit of God. That's why the prophet exists. They can see things coming and see things going better than anybody else. The next is the evangelists. These are the great soul winners. They are anointed to preach the simple gospel message and confirm it with signs following. That's the heart of an evangelist. He goes places, he hurts for the lost. A prophet goes places, he hurts for the condition of the church. An apostle goes places, he hurts for the lack of churches. An evangelist hurts for the lost. That's different from a pastor. A pastor goes into a place and he hurts for the condition of the sheep. And every one of them has a different heartbeat. And by heartbeat, we mean a different thrust, a different emphasis. An apostle goes into a place and he says, there aren't any churches. I need to establish one. The prophet goes into a place and says, this place is going to hell. I need to call them back to God. The evangelist goes into a place and says, they're all going to hell. I need to tell them about Jesus. The pastor goes into a place and says, these sheep are scattered. They have no pastor. They have goofy doctrine. They need a shepherd. The evangelist has a heart that is always yearning for the lost. Next one is the pastors. These are the shepherds. These men are shepherds over the local flock. They live with the local church. The pastor can't stand to see sheep scattered, hurting, or ignorant. That's the pastor's heartbeat. Why are they so goofy? Don't they know better than that? They need a church. That family needs fixing. Only a pastor can fix that family. They need to find a pastor. That's a pastor's heartbeat. Teachers. 
This office keeps the church balanced with in-depth, line-upon-line teaching. They have an anointing to see deeper things in the Word and piece together established doctrine. One of the cool things Dr. Barclay has always taught, and I like it, he teaches the five-fold ministry like fingers on a hand. You've got the apostle, and he's, he's always got his thumb out. He's hitching a ride. He's always traveling. You have the prophet. He's pointing, saying, get it right, get it right, straighten up. You have the evangelist. He's the middle finger. He's out further than anybody else. You have the pastor. He's the wedding finger. He's married to the local church. And you have the teacher. He brings balance to the rest of the hand. And Dr. Barker likes to say, he gets in the ears of the church and cleans out the stupidness and gives them better doctrine. That's the five-fold ministry right there. And if you resist them, then you get the five-fold ministry right there, right pow in the kisser. First Peter says, submit under the mighty hand of God. That's the five-fold ministry. And God will exalt you. Any Christian that doesn't have the five-fold in their life will not be exalted by God. That's the criticality of the fivefold offices. In this church, we do our very best to bring in all five of the gifts on a regular basis. With Pastor Akwokwo, we have the apostle. With Dr. Barclay, we have the prophet. We have plenty of pastors that come through here. Pastor Ingolf, Pastor Barclay, Pastor Akwokwo. Uh, uh, we bring in teachers like Reverend Ray Bench or even Ken and Trudy Blunt. But really, Ken Blunt's been anointed as an apostle in the last two or three years. And then we have evangelists in our own house, and we might bring in an occasional evangelist that just has a heart. Daniel Groves is one. He has a tremendous heart for evangelism. So we do our best to bring all five ministry gifts in this church on a regular basis every year. Now, we can't do it every service because then we wouldn't have pastoring. We'd have guest ministers. But we do our best. If you come to the services, you get all five, and therefore you get perfected. So that, those are the five-fold ministers. Those are the highest ranking. The next step down beneath them are the bishops. So let's look at the bishops. We find this in 1 Timothy 3. Who can be a bishop? Now, if you remember, who can be an apostle or who can be a minister? Only the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. That's who. Who can be a bishop? Anyone that desires the work and then qualifies for the office of a bishop. Technically, you can have female bishops. Though the King James says, if any man desire the office of an, a bishop, he desires a good work. The Greek says, if any person. And the King James uses man a lot to say mankind. Actually, the Greeks, it's odd. The Greek says, if, if it is anyone wants a bishop's office, they desire a good work. But King James just translates it, if any man. Uh, we, we, in any good local church, you have female bishops. Miss Amy in our church is a bishop. She oversees the worship team. Miss Sarah Ogilvie is a bishop in our church. She oversees children's church and bed babies and does a pretty good job with it. And so a bishop is not just a, a, a male thing. It's a, it can be a female thing too. So who can be it? Anyone that desires the work and then qualifies for the office of a bishop. Who authorizes them? This is very critical. From this point on, in the governments of the local church, the authorization comes from a man. Nobody authorizes an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. Only God does. After you get out of the fivefold ministers, every office after that is authorized by man. All right? That's a critical thing to keep in mind. As we said with our first lesson on authority, authority is power that flows from God. God is the ordainer and the ultimate authority. He gives authority to Jesus. Gives, Jesus gives authority to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost authorizes the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and then presidents and kings and rulers and governors. And then they have this measure of authority that came from God. They began to delegate it. 
In this church, I am the authority. But my authority comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And greater men than me recognized it and ordained it. And now anybody in this church who has authority, it's on loan from me. And if you sin against it, it gets taken away from you. From this point on in our curriculum, all these roles, whether it's bishops, elders, deacons, or helps ministers, their authority is on loan from the local leader. The local leader, my authority, in our, in our case, is on loan from God. If I sin corruptly, it will be taken from me, and I will be put out, and I will be just a normal man. Same with the government. You get authority by submitting to the government's authority. They give you a measure of their authority to do what they need you to do. Authority is a stewardship, and it's on loan from someone over you to help them accomplish what they need done. That, in that regard, if you corrupt your authority, you will be in such trouble with those over you because they didn't give you the authority to go do your whim. They authorized you to help them do their vision. That's how it is in the local church. So who authorizes bishops? The established leadership in the local church appoints bishops. To some degree, the term bishop and elder can be used interchangeably. Titus makes the correlation for us. Look at Titus 1, 5 and 7a. For this cause, Paul speaking, left I, thee, thee is Titus, in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things which are wanting and ordain elders in every city, as I appointed thee, for a bishop must be blameless. And it goes on to describe the qualifiers of a bishop. But I want you to notice Paul the apostle is ordaining Titus a pastor to ordain elders and bishops. So God Almighty does not ordain elders and bishops. The local pastor does. And so that pastor, in this case, it was Titus. He had the authority from his leadership, from the Lord Jesus, from Paul the apostle, to ordain bishops and elders in the local church. That's critical because a lot of folks in the church think a bishop trumps an apostle or a bishop trumps a pastor. But right here, Pastor Titus is making bishops. So how can the bishop trump the man that made him? doesn't make any sense. It's bad doctrine in the churches. The Catholics have it all backwards. The Episcopals have it all backwards. And a lot of the black denominations have it all backwards. And nowadays, and thank God I think we're seeing it fading, it was almost like, well, who are you? Well, I'm pastor. Well, I'm a bishop. Well, great, but I trump you in the eyes of the New Testament. Unless you're a true pastor and you don't like that term, so you choose the term bishop. Dr. Sumrall said, I don't know what an archbishop is. He said, I've seen a lot of bishops. He said, a lot of them had these big arches that come off their belly. Maybe that's what made them an archbishop. <laughs> that's a made-up term in the Catholic Church. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I have appointed thee, for a bishop must be blameless. So Titus, Pastor Titus, was ordaining elders, bishops. They are going to report to him. All right? They don't trump him, they report to him because a pastor ordained them. Who are they accountable to? Bishops are accountable to the leadership over them who appointed them. In the local church, it will be the pastor or apostle. Why? Why do we have bishops? Bishops, by definition, are overseers and they help superintend what is already established in the local church. A church without elders and bishops is therefore wanting and undone in this capacity. That's what Paul said, that you set in order the things that are lacking, that are wanting. A church without bishops or elders is lacking. They 
can be over departments or different ministries. Some churches also use the term superintendent. The Assemblies of God very widely use the term superintendent. They have a Sunday school superintendent. That's a bishop. We have a worship superintendent. Uh, it's, it's more biblical to use the term worship bishop or worship overseer than worship pastor. A pastor is an anointed office from most, the Most High. I don't think you can take a worship leader and make them a worship pastor. You're giving them an authorization Jesus Christ never gave them. Plus, you don't see the term worship pastor. You don't see the term youth pastor. We'll never use it around here. It'll be youth leader, or in that regard, Luke is a youth bishop. He oversees the youth with authority I've delegated to him. And so I think we do need to split hairs on these terms because you get what you call things because you can have what you say. If you call me Pastor Chris, you get a pastor out of me. I don't call Dr. Barclay Dr. Barclay to his face. I call him pastor because that's what I need out of him. I don't need a doctor, though I'd rather have somebody call him that than just Mark, which a lot of people I know do. You, want, you get what you call, therefore you got to be careful. We'll never permit another pastor in this church but the one senior pastor. Since when does a worship leader pastor? That's stupid. A worship leader leads worship. That's pretty easy, in my opinion, to see. But other churches, I don't know. Folks get all excited about terms. Bishops help oversee what's already established. We established the worship team. Miss Amy is over it. Underneath her, Miss Ginger is kind of over the musicians. So she's kind of a bishop overseeing the musicians that were already established. Steve-O, in a sense, is over the sound team. We have Brother Chad is over the evangelistic outreach. In those regards, they're bishops. They're overseers. They earn that position because of leadership quality in them, because of maturity, because of dependability. And so we, we in a sense, have put our hand on them. Now, we don't call them bishops. They do have terms. We don't acknowledge them as bishop so-and-so or bishop so-and-so or elder so-and-so. But they, they're, they're, that position is the most important part. Not the title, but what they're really doing. Job description. An overseer. This is taken from the Greek lexicon. A bishop is an overseer. A man charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly. Any curator, guardian, or superintendent. An elder or overseer of a Christian church. All pastors are bishops, but not all bishops are pastors. As a pastor, I am a bishop. I'm an overseer. I superintend this church, but I have people under me that help me do it. In that regard, Mr. Rick would be a bishop. He would be an overseer. He oversees a big section of our ministry. I superintend the whole beast, but I have other wranglers that help me wrangle it in. I'm over the worship team, but I have folks that are under me helping me to bishop and oversee the worship team. That's all a bishop is. The best definition is someone charged with the duty to see that things to be done by others are done rightly. In that regard, it's a manager. That's all a bishop is, is a manager. They make sure the things that are to be done are done rightly. In a sense, in a church, it's middle management. I don't know how we got in pride over this thing. Uh, a lot of folks did. But a bishop just means you're working your way up through the ranks. What I have is not my own, but I help another man's make sure it goes right. Amen. When any one of our bishops or overseers around here, something goes wrong in their department, I don't go to the department, I go to them. Rick, why is this happening? Rick, what's wrong with the ushers? Ginger, why are the musicians doing this? I don't go to them, I go to the bishop that's over them. Steve-O, what is up with my sound, man? Come on. It's just middle management. It just means you get hit on first. <laughs> 
when something goes wrong. Let's look at elders. Now, bishops and elders can be the same, but there are actually three classifications of elders in the New Testament, and we're going to look at those. Titus 1, 5 through 9, and 1 Peter 5, 1 help us see some things about elders. Who? There are three types of elders in the New Testament church. Aged elders, teaching elders, and fivefold ministry elders. We're going to look at each of those. Who authorizes them? This depends on the type of elder. The aged elders don't have any governing authority, so nobody has to authorize them. And by aged elder, we mean old people. Miss Vera could be classified as an elder in the church, but she doesn't have any authority to lead or govern. She has earned respect and, and, and honor by her age and her Christian conversation and lifestyle. So we have a separate honor for her we don't have for college kids. She's an elder, and the Bible commands us all through the Bible to respect the elders because of their age, because of their life, because of their commitment to Jesus Christ for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. Nobody authorizes them because they don't stand in any authority. Now, they could, but they don't. Miss Lola, she's our oldest church elder. She has no authority in the church, but everybody has a reverence for her because she's an old praying mama and a Pentecostal one at that and still does the work of an evangelist. And we still honor her, and we spend a lot of money on her honoring her, taking care of her. That's an aged elder. Amen. The teaching elders are equivalent to bishops, so their authority comes from the apostles or pastors. A teaching elder is not necessarily a ministry gift, but it's someone who's been given a place of authority in the local church. So like Miss Amy, Miss Sarah over the children's departments, Commander Earl over the Royal Rangers, Steve-O over the sound, Miss Ginger over the musicians, Amy over the whole worship team, uh, Brother Chad over nursing home and evangelism. These are like teaching elders. They have a place of authority and they command people underneath them. Their authority is going to come from me if I'm a pastor or me if I'm an apostle because I put them, I ordained them. I said, you're in charge, you answer to me. And in that regard, you have a hand of the authorization on them. If somebody were to go to Ginger or go behind Ginger and try to take over the worship team or Miss a Amy, they would be in big trouble because they are not operating with authorization. They're hijacking. They have jumped the streams of authority's flow, and you can't do that and be blessed. The fivefold ministering elders are authorized by the Lord Jesus Christ and are elders in the body of Christ and are to be revered in whatever church they be, may be visiting. What that basically says is, as a pastor, I am a pastor elder. This is my church, and I have the most authority in the kingdom in this church. When I go to other churches, I will be revered and honored because I am a pastor elder, but I'm not the pastor of that church. And that church, I'm just a ministry elder. And they'll say, yes, Pastor Chris. They understand I'm not their pastor, but I am still Pastor Chris, and there'll be a deference to me. When Dr. Barclay comes, we have a deference and an honor for him because he's an elder in the body of Christ. Though he's not the pastor of this church, he is still my pastor. Reverend Ray Bench, if he comes, when he comes, he's a, he's a five-fold ministry gift, and so we honor him. We call him Reverend Ray or Reverend Bench, and, and we have an honor and an eldership respect for him. And he may not preach, but we'll still defer to him. There's a seat of honor given to him because of who Jesus Christ has made him to be. And the more we honor him, the more we'll get out of him or any other minister for that regard. Uh, who are they accountable to? Accountability with an elder depends on the type of elder. Fivefold ministry elders are, are accountable to Jesus Christ or a superior minister. 
Bishop elders are accountable to the local pastor and aged elders are accountable to the local pastor. Now I will say this, for me as the pastor here, even with our aged elders, there's a lot of stuff I can't do in their life. There's, there's an honor and a deference I have to give them. I can't be hard on them like I can younger ministers or, or younger Christians. Miss Lola, I, you know, I'm not going to rebuke her because the Bible says rebuke not an elder. Uh, Miss Vera, I don't know if I've ever rebuked Miss Vera. She probably has needed it a handful of times. With her, I just mostly give a strong encouragement. Ma Creeble, I don't rebuke her. I just give her strong encouragement because it's not proper to rebuke an elder of any kind, even when I am an elder. And there, there, it's just something that goes on in the spirit realm. Any of one of our other elders, and that's kind of a spiritual thing, whether it's late 60s, 70s, I don't know. There, there's a certain kind of thing I can and can't do in their life, even though I am a ministering elder. Whereas a younger person, man, I'll stomp all over you. <laughs> I'll chew you up, spit you out, and love you while I'm doing it. But I can't do that with aged elders, but they still submit to me or the local pastor. Why? Why do we have these in the church? Elders are men or women who have earned a position of honor within the body, either for their age or for their promotion into leadership. An elder is not to be rebuked, but called near as a father or mother. They are needful for the body to help aid in leadership and uh, are given to younger Christians as a living epistle to look up to. So that's, that's why we have them. They're either promoted and they help lead or they're given to have a role model for younger Christians. And every one of us is a role model to somebody, so we have to be careful that somebody's always looking at us. Job description. All full-time five-fold ministers would be considered elders of the church regardless of age. 1 Peter 5.1, Peter says, I, uh, I, Peter, write unto the elders among you who am also an elder. Paul was an, uh, Peter was an apostle. Peter was a pastor. He was writing to those believers, but he said, I'm also an elder. So that's how we know that apostles can be elders too. They would be an elder to any church they visited because they have been set apart as a full-time minister to perfect the saints. Any church they visit would therefore need to show them honor. Any local, any given local church, in any given local church, they are teaching elders. There are, not they are, but there are. These are men or women that may or may not have a full-time ministry call on their life, but they are active helping the pastor of their church to care for the flock and teach the people. Now, we, a lot of this we already have working in our church. We're just defining it, in a sense, legally. There's an honor for Mr. Rick, though he's not a minister. He's a helps minister. There's an honor for him because he has a seat of authority. There's an honor for Miss Ginger because she has a seat of authority. And as you earn promotions through the kingdom, people will automatically defer to you as a bishop or an overseer because, you know, Miss Carrie oversees the photography. So if I have a photography question, I go to her and I honor her seat. That's a bishop. That's an overseer. These elders, the bishop elders, would not necessarily be honored in any church but their own. Mr. Rick goes to Dr. Barclay. He gets no respect because he has no authority there. His authority is only in the local church. Mr. Rick goes across town to another church. He's a nobody there. I go across town to another church. I'll be a somebody there because of my standing in the body. Miss Ginger goes across town. She will not be respected. She shouldn't be. Not, not just beyond natural human respect. But she's not going to be honored unless somebody recognizes, hey, there's something on her as a musician. Let's get her up here and use her. And then somebody might recognize the greatness on Rick's life as a helps guru 
hey, can you help us? They'll begin to honor. But just because you're a bishop or an overseer here doesn't mean you'll ever be honored outside these walls, and that's perfectly acceptable. Finally, there are the aged elders. These are the aged saints in any local church that must be shown honor simply for their age, life experience, and devotion to Jesus Christ. And in that regard, they would have honor in every church they went to, any mature church. I think in, in most societies, the elder are very revered, as they should be. Even kids are taught, respect your elders, don't talk to grandma that way, have a reverence for the aged people. You have to. They've been here longer than you. They've seen more, and they haven't quit like we have a thousand times. They're still here. That brings us to the deacons, moving right, right along. 1 Timothy 3, who can be a deacon? Any born-again believer who meets the biblical requirements and wants to serve. Deaconship is a servant's position. There are 16 requirements that must be met to be a deacon, and there's uh, qualifications there. Phoebe, a woman, was a deaconess at Rome. So far, what we're seeing is uh, women can be fivefold ministry, women can be bishops, women can be elders, and now women can be deacons. It would only make sense that women, if there's neither male nor female in Christ, could fulfill almost every position. The only one I still have trouble with in my heart are female pastors. That's the one that still bugs me, because how does a husband submit to a woman when the woman's the pastor? How, how do you role reverse that? Unless maybe he's a, an apostle and he oversees the local church and she pastors under him. But even Paul said, I, I forbid a woman to rebuke a man. Then let's talk about marriage. So how, how is a woman going to stand up and pastor her husband and then go home and not still pastor her husband, which will be totally out of biblical principle. So even a woman was called a deaconess. Phoebe was called a deaconess of the whole church at Rome. Who authorizes them? A deacon must have a good report among the people, but are then appointed by the, uh, the church leaders after prayer and consecration through the laying on of hands. In Acts 6, the deacons were actually selected by the people. That's unique. Peter said, Select you out seven men from among ye who have a good report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And they selected seven, and the Bible says, and they presented them to the apostles who after prayer laid hands upon them. So the people selected them because they had a good report among the people, but then it was the apostles who finally said, good, good, you're kidding me, right? You guys pick this guy, go home. Good, good, we'll lay hands on these. The other guys, what were you thinking? There must have been some politicking going on there. In the end, the apostles had the final say in who was the deacon. Uh, who are they accountable to? Since deacons serve exclusively in the local church, they are accountable to the bishops or pastor over them. Why? Deacons are set in a local church, so the, lo so the church leaders are free to seek God, pray, and study the Word, and not have to wait tables. Acts 6.2, Peter says, It is not reason or reasonable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. In short, deacons free the pastor up to focus on spiritual things and not have to worry about natural things. Here, our spin on deacons are a little bit different. We have care deacons, and they serve in that capacity. We've anointed them, we've appointed them, we've laid hands on them, and they are definitely ordained of God or appointed by me to, to do what they do. And we, just, we do a little bit differently, but we have some, some liberty within the Scriptures. We can honestly, we can make most of our department heads deacons if we wanted to because they're helping to serve in the helps ministry. But we have care deacons. Job description. By Greek definition, a deacon is one who executes the commands of another. So they're total servants, especially of a master. A servant, 
an attendant, one who ministers, a minister to attend to anything uh, that may serve another's interests. A deacon may cut the grass for a shut-in, take food to a new mother, vacuum the floors, clean the toilets, check on a missing sheep, etc. Servants, the word is diakonos in the Greek, it means servant. That's what a deacon is, is just a servant. That's important because in many churches, we're talking about church governments. That's our big picture here. In many churches, the deacons run the church. But wait a minute, how can that be if they're fourth down on our pecking order? If apostles and pastors ordain bishops, and bishops and elders are kind of the same, but they're, they're under the pastors, and further down the line is the deacon, how can the deacon be in charge of the church and tell the pastor what to do? That doesn't make any sense. But it's because they don't have proper governments and administrations authorized in their church. They're confused. A diakonos, a deacon, is one that does the commands of another. A diakonos has no say except, Sir, what would you have me do now? I need you to go check on that lady. Yes, sir. Be glad to. What about now, sir? Uh, pick up the trash in the parking lot. Yes, sir. That's a deacon. Not what denominations have made them to be, but one that executes the commands of another. That brings us to our last government office in the church, and that is helps. You'll find that mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 by name specifically, and then about 40 other instances throughout the whole Bible. <laughs> Who can be in helps ministry? Everybody. We should say who's called there. Everybody is called into helps ministry. Who authorizes them? The Lord Jesus Christ has set this in the church, so technically He authorizes the believer to be a help. But helps must operate within the organization of the local church or ministry. Therefore, the local pastor has a say in what a helps minister is doing to help in the local church. We know from 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it says, And he is authorized and set some in the church, some to be apostles, others prophets after that, miracles, governments, helps, tongues, interpretation of tongues and administrations. So helps is set in there by the Lord Jesus. So he's authorized every person to be a help. You don't need my approval to be a help. You just need my approval in how you help because I'm responsible for the ship that is the local church. Who are they accountable to? Number one, the pastor, and number two, the bishops or the overseers that oversee the helps. What does an oversee oversee? An overseer oversees the goings-on of a local church. An overseer is a manager of the helps departments. All of our bishops oversee helps ministry. Whether it's children's church, missionettes, royal rangers, security, ushering, catching, prayer cloths, door-to-door -door evangelism, they're overseeing helps ministry. Why? Why do we have helps? So that the local church or ministry may be built up, edified, effective, and productive. Without the help, nothing gets done. The body is designed to help itself. Ephesians 4.16 in the NAS, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When every member of the body of Christ properly works in the kingdom, it causes the body to grow and be built up. In this church, we have an outstanding helps degree, helps rating. Now, we do still have a core, and by core, we mean those that do about 20 things, but just about everybody does at least one thing. 
I don't think it's possible to get beyond a core. You'll always have a core of believers. In our church, though, we have the testimony that our core of believers does about 10 or 15 things in the church, and our periphery believers just do one or two things. <laughs> Some churches, your core is five people that do 100 things, and everybody else does nothing. We at least have a, a more denser core. <laughs> and God, God be the glory for that in our church. Job description. Well, what needs to be done in the ministry? Cleaning, cooking, teaching, child care, children's church, building maintenance, administration, vehicle maintenance, child pickup, nursery work, youth worship, sound television, etc., etc. That's what helps is. So now here's the cool thing. This is all governments and administrations. These are the only offices the New Testament talks about. And there's not many. There's fivefold, bishops, elders, deacons, and helps. Only really five levels of leadership in a church. The awesome thing is, it has everybody working. It's, there's something there for everybody. And everybody starts off on the ground level. And if you walk with God, He'll promote you all the way up through the ranks. That's different from any other kingdom on the planet. And in every other kingdom, you may or may not get to be partaking of the government. In the kingdom of God, everybody's called to partake of the government. That's why the Bible says of Jesus, of the increase of His government and kingdom, there shall be no end. He wants to include every member of His body in what He's doing. If you're faithful in helps, He'll promote you into deaconing. If you're faithful in deaconing, He'll promote you into bishoping and eldering. And if you're there, that may be where you can max out or you'll have to earn that place before you can fulfill the five-fold ministry on your life. So that's an awesome thing. These are the only offices the New Testament talks of. Anything beyond this is just made up. Or it's just another name for what's already established. We're not against committees. Sometimes you need to use those to gather information and wisdom. But even that is just either a deacon's role or just a, a bishop's role. But in the end, they report to the executive, the senior, and he makes the final say based on wisdom. So hopefully you've learned something there. That is a fast and furious lesson. That right there might be three or four semesters at a seminary, but you get it in a nice abbreviated nutshell, and hopefully you learn something out of it. Go back and study it if you want to. Our next lesson will be forms of governments, the four governments in the, in the local church, and you'll be able to see based on this lesson which ones are biblical and which ones are highly unbiblical. Father, bless these folks for coming out. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to teach this and, and learn of your word and of your governments. We thank you, Lord, that you are an organized God, you're a disciplined God, and that you've left nothing to chance. And Lord, if we stick with your blueprint and plan, everything will turn out just fine in the local church. It will run smoothly in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, and we love you. Amen.